1: A podcast Diving, diving deep, 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 diving deep into all things text, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General
2: Sean McClain. W- w- welcome, welcome, welcome w- to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in the Utopia football podcast. Uh, we are recording this on a um, Monday morning uh, following the NFL Combine. And John McClain is back from the Combine, and I am back from spring training. So we had feet on the ground in both places here on this podcast. I would venture to say the only podcast you'll find that had somebody at the Combine and somebody at spring training simultaneously. We welcome you in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of and Pendergast. Mornings on Sports Radio 610, and of course, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer. He is our senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com. And just a jack of all trades at galleriesports.com, because he too went to spring training uh, as well. John McClain joining me. And, uh, John, how was Indy last week?
3: Indy was a lot of fun, unseasonably warm weather. It was a lot of talk about quarterbacks because the Texans want one. We'll have that all the way up until Nick Casario makes his first pick. And uh, and uh, it was, you know, I had a blast in one way at spring training. Then I had a blast in a different way. Next week, I'm going to Las Vegas to write about the Cougars from that angle of uh, watching it at Caesars Palace, which is is Mike's favorite spot there. And I'm going to write about the Cougars hopefully winning and advancing to the Sweet 16.
2: So as far as Indy goes, John, what – what did you, what's the biggest thing that you learned there or saw there from any of the players that you think impacts the? Obviously, a lot there is going to impact the Texans. They need a quarterback and they've got two first round picks in this draft and 11 picks overall in the draft. Um, but what did you see there that most
3: significantly impacts the Texans' draft fortunes? Bryce right, John was 5'10 and an 8, the same height as Kyler Murray, he weighed 204, the same that Russell Wilson weighed at his combat and. 2012. I don't think it's much of an issue. I was listening to Charlie Weiss on NFL Radio saying why he still has Bryce Young clearly his number one prospect, CJ Stroud number two. He said some people may have him the opposite. Stroud had great throwing session at the combine, and um, I think this Bryce Young was very impressive, very humble. He was everything I heard he'd be. And C.J. Stroud was everything I knew he'd be. Anthony Richardson was everything I knew he'd be. All these people oohing and on over Anthony Richardson must not have been paying any attention to him because every scout coming in say he's got great size, great arm, great mobility, and great speed, and he showed it all. And now some people say he's going to go second overall, uh, second quarterback taken. I just don't see any way. Not when you complete 54 percent, you start one game, and you're you're so far away as a boomer bust prospect. But he got the most talk, along with it's so funny Bryce Young's size. Sean, it was amazing the crowd around Bryce Young's podium, and we didn't know his size, and he had to talk about it, and he never would say exactly because. I don't know that he knew. You know, he was listed six foot, 194. I was told by everybody that he's going to be closer to 5'10 and six foot. And he was. I don't think any any teams, including the Texans, were surprised by that. But he'd been working with the nutrition, as Kyler Murray did. And he got his weight up to 204. And he's such an impressive guy. But so was Trout in his interview. And I know Daniel Jeremiah, who I respect the most, uh, from the NFL Network said Stroud had one of the best throwing sessions he'd ever seen. So I figure the Texas will get one of those two guys. And right now they won't be able to go wrong either way.
2: So let's dig into that a little more, John. So it sounds like the consensus still is that Bryce Young is the best quarterback prospect from the people you're talking to up there and that you've, you know, all the conjecture you've seen. And I mean, is that, do you agree with that? Is that, do you feel like Bryce Young is number one right now among quarterbacks?
3: He is. And, you know, watching him throw. I think Dan Campbell said, you know, great people in pajamas. Charlie Weiss was calling them their underwear. Only the media and fans getting really excited about combine and people at the NFL Network because they have to because it's their showcase. But NFL people like to go back and they watch the tape. But then when they get them in private workouts, because it's your pro days. They're so well orchestrated and by their quarterback guru. And I remember going to College Station for Johnny Manziel's pro day. And I remember hearing a noise outside the building where they were having it. And I opened the door and there's Manziel and his guru and his receivers going like going through last minute rehearsals to make sure they had everything down exactly right. And then he had a great combine session. Vince Young had a great one. Jamarcus Russell had a great one. Blake Bortles had a great one. Because one reason some agents don't want their players throwing at the combine, if a receiver is supposed to run a 15-yard out route and he cuts it off at 13, the ball is going to be overthrown and it's going to make the quarterbacks look bad. Or if he's supposed to run a 17, 15-yard out and he runs a 17, it looks underthrown where if you wait your pro day and you've been practicing it over and over, rehearsing like a Broadway play, and there's no way it shouldn't be impressive. And the ones that the teams like the most, Sean, are the private workouts where they orchestrate everything. They tell a player, OK, I want to see you do this. I want to see you do that. I want to do it before the horn goes off. That's when they can tell the most. And because the Texans have a second overall pick, any quarterback they want to work out for them, they'll be able to do it. And as far as them not being there for the 15-minute interviews, they're going to get them in, in lunches mm-hmm. and dinners and private workouts. They can bring them here for a day. That was, that, that was so overblown. People thought it was a big deal that they had the coaching staff Back in Houston, learning the systems, which I think was much more important with a new staff than it was having talking to a prospect when they're going to talk to him for hours and hours and hours. John, there were two things. I
2: thought Bryce Young was flawless in his media session. The other two, and I really feel like this is a three QB story now. No disrespect to Will Levis. He may find his way into the top five, but it, does, it feels like to me everybody's talking about, Young and Stroud being the top two. Anthony Richardson is this curiosity that could go anywhere from one to the second round still. And, and then there's Levis. So I'm just going to keep it focused on, on Young, Stroud, and Richardson for purposes of this podcast. Young, I thought, was flawless in his podium. The other two said things that caught some attention. One from Texan fans and two, I think, in general. I'll start with Stroud. Where Stroud cited, he said he, he wore the number seven because Michael Vick and then Michael Vick was a black quarterback who, who uh, learned to stay in the pocket as he got older as a player. And now C.J. Stroud always looked up to him for that. And then he mentioned Deshaun Watson. And I thought more mentioned, he said looked up to Deshaun Watson, but I thought he meant more in terms of style of play, not like a big brother kind of thing. Although he may, they have the same agent. But obviously saying he looked up to Deshaun Watson caught a lot of attention from people. What did you think of C.J. Stroud's answer to that question?
3: I think that he probably works out with Watson because their agents, David Mulligetta. I don't. I didn't hear anybody say one word about it. There's a lot of times they were talking about things that guys said at the podium, like Stetson Bennett, who didn't handle his podium session very well, but did really well when he threw the ball. And I think he may be friends with him. You know, there's. It's amazing to me. There's a lot of players that don't hold anything against Watson. Yeah. They they like him, the Browns, his teammates. They only know him up there. And they may be tight. And I don't think for a second the Texans would hold that against him if they thought he was the guy to draft. And as far as Michael Vick, you know, Michael Vick killed dogs and he did his time. And I don't think I think people look, look at him more as Michael Vick the player. I don't see any comparisons between Vick and Strapp. Not yeah. at all. Not the kind of prospects they were. Vic in one is the first overall pick. Uh, I never thought that for a minute. And maybe they're friends. They've met somewhere. I don't know. But one of the things people are talking about Stroud, in a low-key manner, he was very confident, but he had some quotes in there. He thinks highly of himself as he should. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Will Levis was the most, the brashest uh, of the quarterbacks and of course the media loves that a guy like Nick Casario would see that and he'd think, well, we're going to, we're going to cure him of that. We're going to him a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> You'll never hear him talk like that when he gets to Houston, but he was refreshing with his quotes. Now he's got a great arm. Everybody knew it. He's not very accurate. Everybody knows it. Anthony Richardson's not accurate. Everybody knows it. And There's only two guys, as you mentioned, Young and Stroud. And I'm not saying they can't miss, but they're clearly ahead of all the others. And I'd be stunned if somebody took Anthony Richardson in the top five, considering how raw he is and how little he's actually accomplished on the field.
2: Okay, so Richardson is the other one I wanted to hit on, John. The statement that he made that was concerning, and I admit that the Stroud one is more getting Texan fans' reaction. That's why I said that. Stroud's is more Texans related. Fans hear Stroud saying he's, you know, he looks up to Deshaun Watson and then uh, you know how Texan fans are, John, They're, or football fans in general. Like, well, we're out on this guy. That's all we need is another Watson. Um, as far as Richardson, the one quote that he had that I saw getting some attention was when he was asked about his accuracy and he said something to the effect of, well, I can't catch all the passes for myself as if to kind of throw his receiving core under the bus a little bit in Florida, it's actually pretty accurate analysis. He had a bad receiving core at Florida this past year, but that obviously wasn't the only reason his completion percentage is where I think he completed fifty-four percent of his passes. That's not all on the receiving core. But the fact that he would cite his receiving core in that way, I mean, pretty thinly veiled. We know what he's saying there.
3: Um, what did you think of that? You know, just in terms of accountability. I believe the quarterback shouldn't ever be saying something like that. Mm-hmm. If receivers drop five passes and they're all intercepted, you got to take the blame as a quarterback. Now he's young, he's immature. He only started one year. If he'd gone back to school another year, he might have been the first overall pick. And I'll guarantee his agent will make sure the next time he does interviews, he won't be saying anything like that. It'll all be his fault. And, uh, but you see it and you wonder, okay, when he to talked to him some more, I remember when Rudy Tomjanovich was the Rockets coach they said if a player in an interview before the draft blamed his coaches for anything really took him off the board Hmm. because you don't want to hear and you don't hear people do that a lot at the combine because they've been prepared by experts and Richardson obviously believes that and I'll tell you something about his lack of accuracy the people that I trust the most that watch the most tape like Greg Cosell, Daniel Jeremiah, Matt Miller, uh, those guys. Um, And there's a lot of former NFL executives in the media right now. The 33rd team is comprised of all former NFL executives and coaches and players. I haven't seen anybody that watched tape of Anthony Richardson say his, his bad completion percentage was because Receivers were dropping passes or not getting open. Mm-hmm. Um, John, what was the buzz around Jalen Carter while you
2: were in Indianapolis? <laughs> Obviously, he. I mean, we we know the story. I mean, see, he had to go back to Georgia to get arrested, <laughs> and 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 take care of that administratively. But he came back to Indianapolis. Um, what is what's your sense? I'm sure you talked to a bunch of people up there with teams and personnel people and things like that. What's the feeling right now? Is there just way more that needs to be unpacked? Do they feel like this is going to significantly impact his draft stock? Where is the Jalen Carter barometer right now?
3: When Todd McShay of ESPN said he had character issues, everybody knew it. He's just the first one to say it publicly, and there was a lot of criticism from Carter's camp. And uh, the he was due to speak at 10.30 a.m., and when it's a player everybody wants, like Young or Stroud, or Richardson. The, it starts getting really crowded around that podium 30 minutes ahead. So I, it was uh, 10 and I'm sitting there at 930 and I get a text. Have you seen the news about Carter? So I Googled it and saw the Atlanta Journal-Constitution story about how he lied to the media about, uh, being, first of all, everything involving Jalen Carter. It's the night after they're celebrated the bulldogs he and a staffer for the football team driving in a 2021 ford exposition she was not allowed to drive on non-company business and mcclendon another an offensive lineman and a woman with him uh they've been to strip club and then they're drag racing in at two miles from campus speeds of over 100 miles an hour and of course they have the wreck and uh uh, the the uh one player's killed. The driver was killed. The player in the back, McClendon, he suffered minor injuries, but the woman next to him suffered some serious injuries. And I'm guessing she's going to be suing the school. And uh, and and they put together videotapes of businesses and houses along the route. It yeah, ra- racing in every lane, getting his speeds over 100 miles an hour, and he was racing. Now, he had two misdemeanor charges. He's got a great agent in Drew Rosenhaus. They'll have the best attorney money can buy, and I'm guessing he's going to get off. So um, what happens then, Does he? do the Bears still think he's worth the first pick, or do they think he's worth the fourth pick? Because if they trade with the Colts at four, then that means at three, the Cardinals are going to take Anderson or Carter, Will Anderson Jr. He's the opposite of Carter. No questions about him or his character or his ability at all. And But if you take Carter out of your top five, then the Bears better take Will Anderson if, if indeed they want a great pass rusher who has no blemishes on his resume. And Carter, he came back. And everybody's like, sure, he's going to come back and tell the truth. He told the police three different versions, never that he was racing. And so can he be trusted? You know, what about the issues before? So the buzz that went through, people didn't leave his podium. And I walked over and told uh, Christian Lewis, who was right in the front for Gallery Sports to shoot the video, you don't need to stay here. He ain't coming. And because there's no way they're going to let him trot out there and answer all those questions. But people still lingered till the next guy came up. And that poor guy, I can't remember who it was. He walks up to podium and just about everybody leaves like he was like he had B.O. or something. And uh, so then that day, it was a huge story. And it's going to be a huge story to see if he falls like some others have because of pre-draft incidents involving them and how many if he does it's going to cost him millions of dollars but somebody's still going to take him high because really he's got the highest grade of any player in this draft do you think he's still on nick casario's board anywhere john i i I, i'm guessing yes i mean i i don't know anybody that nick has taken off if bob mcnair was still around bob would make sure they invest invested investigated him you know teams have former private detectives fbi agents they got all kind of investigative uh people to check these guys out and uh, they were checking him out a lot before this i'm guessing he's not going to be the number one pick anymore and uh he might you know seattle take anybody they would take him in a heartbeat because they're looking for another defensive lineman if he dropped to them
1: selling a little Or a lot.
2: All right, so, John, let's get to um, tomorrow is the deadline for – I say tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday. You may be listening to it on Tuesday. I'll just say Tuesday is the deadline, Tuesday afternoon, for franchise tags. Um, it looks like that could be the direction we're headed with Daniel Jones. It looks like we could be headed that direction with Tony Pollard. There's a handful of others. Jones is the big one because, one, he's a quarter – when Lamar Jackson obviously is a huge one, It looks that looks like a fait accompli that that's going to happen. Uh, But Jones is the interesting one because the two sides seem to be working towards something. It sounds like his agents are going to go meet with the Giants and maybe they get a deal done. And I think it's an interesting one, too, because I don't think Daniel Jones is worth a big long-term contract as a quarterback. Um, But he put together a solid season and got them to the playoffs last year. Um, And he's got Saquon Barkley on the team, too. You know, so they can only franchise tag one of them. Uh, So the other one will become a free agent. If they, you know, when if they, you know, they franchise tag Saquon, Daniel Jones becomes a free agent. I think they're going to if they if they have to use it on one, it'll probably be the quarterback. What are your thoughts on Daniel Jones and what do you think happens in that one?
3: Be a lot cheaper to franchise Daniel Jones at 32 million a year. No way you use exclusive tag on him. And Saquon Barkley's been in the league 5 years. He's had injury issues in the last year of his contract he was healthy i don't think anybody's going to give a running back going into his 60s and a big contract i just don't and uh, it's like josh jacobs with the uh, with the raiders led the league in rushing in the last year of his contract i'm always suspicious of guys who have the best years in the last year of their contract or they don't because you're wondering okay they got to be motivated by money and they're not having their best season so I'm guessing if one's going to leave, it's going to be Barkley. They'd be better off to, to franchise Daniel Jones at 32 and see if he can do it again. Yes. He's done it once, I would franchise him. I would try to sign Barkley. And if I couldn't, I'd say so long, Saquon, and go find another running back. Yeah, I'm with you
2: on that. I think, the, I think the franchise tag was made for a Daniel Jones situation. He's had one good year, and he's had one good year, and he wasn't even great. I think we he got exposed in the playoff game against the Eagles, so I'm with you on that. John, let's do some for real or fugazis to hit some of the other topics because we got Derek Carr, who's now a New Orleans Saint. So let's start with these. And for those who aren't familiar with the segment for real or for gazes, um, I read a statement as if it is fact. John will either tell me that it is for real or if he thinks that uh, that I'm silly and that it is a false statement I'm making, he will say... Fugazi. Fugazi, Italian for counterfeit. So that's what we do. Um, so let's do a few of these, John. Derek Carr is the big story today. He is signing a four-year deal with the New Orleans Saints. For real or Fugazi, John, with Derek Carr quarterback, the Saints are a 10-win team in 2023.
3: Fugazi. They might win that division, but I don't see them jumping from 7-10 to 10-7. Carr has been in one playoff game in his career. He lost it. He's coming off the worst season since his rookie year now. A lot of that could be new coach, new system with Josh McDaniels. Because two years ago, he threw for almost 5,000 yards. I think it's a good deal for the Saints. And right now, I'd pick the Saints to win the division. The Bucs just won it at 9-8. and I could see the the Saints winning the worst division in football with an 8-9 record. Yeah. Have we seen money on that deal yet, John? Do we know what the salary is going to be on that deal? I haven't heard anything about money. And they, boy, they're sure keeping it quiet, but you know, it won't take long.
2: No, it won't. But I always, man, I wonder how the Saints keep doing this, John. I mean, they just, they've got so much money kicked down the road from the Drew Brees, Sean Payton era. I mean, this is, it's like a person who's maxed out their credit cards going and buying a boat, <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah. We're, <laughs> clearly finding this money,
3: you know? That's a great analogy.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's great because the, the talk was there Carr. I mean, that's why he – that's basically why he said no to a trade with the Saints you because know, he had a no-trade clause. He had talked to the Saints, and they had a trade all lined up with the Raiders, and Carr invoked his no-trade clause because he thought he'd make more than the $40 million he was going to get from his guaranteed money, you know, that would be guaranteed on, November, or on uh, February 15th last month. So it's theoretically it's
3: got to be more than that, right? It's oh, absolutely. The yeah. signing bonus prorated over four years. Yeah, yeah. Lower what would have been a forty million salary cap hit. Yep.
2: All right. Along those lines, John, it looks like Jameis Winston could be a casualty with the Saints, a cap casualty now that they're signing Derek Carr. For realer Fugazi, John, Jameis Winston would be a good veteran bridge option for the Texans if they don't take a quarterback or they choose to let their rookie quarterback sit for a year.
3: Forget easy. You want to put out the fire that's burning with D'Amico Ryan's. The best way to do it is get a no count veteran quarterback in here that the fans and the media would just hammer. Oh, you John, Jameis is so much fun though. Oh my goodness, letting me to win somewhere else. <laughs> I would, I would rather stick if they're going to play like three games. Stick with Derek Davis Mills and then elevate the rookie when you think he's ready.
2: All right, uh, next one, John, for real or fugazi, uh, with Derek Carr sewn up for the Saints. It's that now. Aaron Rodgers is up for Aaron Rodgers. It basically comes down to it's the
3: Jets, it's the Packers, or retirement, and that's it for Rodgers. For real or fugazi? I think that's for real. We know he's not going to retire. He's going to make fifty-eight point three million dollars this year, and if he does retire, then I think he'd turn around and unretire and start pulling a Brett Favre. Who did that three years in a row? Uh, one thing I'm curious about, everybody in New York who's a Jets fan, led by Mike Greenberg, is dying to force the Jets to trade for Aaron Rodgers. Robert Sala's the head coach, and he doesn't make the final decisions. Joe Douglas, the GM, does with a lot of input from the owners. But what if Sala likes Jimmy Garoppolo? He was there when Garoppolo won games for him. He knows that he has injury issues. They like Mike White. They're trying to re-sign him. What if they sign Garoppolo and they re-sign White as the backup? Then where does Rodgers go? I don't think he goes to the Raiders. I think the Raiders would be a good spot for Anthony Richardson, hmm. if not the Raiders, the Panthers with Frank Reich. And both those guys are former coordinators, Josh McDaniels and Frank Reich. And one of them take Will Levis, but... It would be great, wouldn't it, to see Rodgers not have any options but to go back with the Packers with his tail between his legs. Well, and, John, that goes back to, to the Packers even wanting back. You know, your guy Bob McGinn was saying they're ready to move on to Jordan Love. And they said that Bob said if he came back, he would be the backup. The backup. The of Love, he'd be the most expensive sub since the Nautilus.
2: All right, John. So um, next one. We got our football out of the way here. Let's get to a little baseball. Playing in the World Baseball Classic for all these players, specifically the Astros, is a bad idea. For real or Fugazi?
3: I say Fugazi because they're going to be playing with the Astros or they're going to be playing there. What's interesting is they're playing by the old rules, not the current rules. And I'd be interested to see how many of them, do something that is one of the current rules that's been drilled into him every single day since spring training began.
2: Yeah, what do you think? So Jose Altuve gets up to the plate for Venezuela. Is he making
3: sure he's alert in the batter's box within seven seconds? Or do you think he's doing his whole rigmarole? I think he's doing the rigmarole because he wants to do the best he can for Venezuela. and He's going to do whatever he thinks he is. And I think He'll go back to stepping out of the box, taking forever, instead of the way he did in spring training, uh, refastening, batting gloves, but staying in the box. Yeah, I
2: don't like that at all. Um, All right, next one, John. Michael Brantley, Dusty Baker has said that Michael Brantley, when he's healthy, he is back in the two-hole because he's been doing it better and longer than Jeremy Pena. But the, the Astros have a great record with Pena batting in the two-hole from last season. So, for real or for Michael Brantley batting in the over, two-hole over Pena makes perfect sense.
3: Fugazy, that could be one of the worst decisions I can remember. I heard last year that uh, uh, Dusty wanted to move him to two, but the GM wanted him to stay where he was. Who's him? Move who? That wanted to move Pena to the two. Okay, gotcha. And it, and and the GM wanted to keep him where he was, and they asked Crane to settle it. And Crane said, "No, that's Dusty's decision." They moved him. Pena was so much better statistically. The Astros were better statistically. I wish Michael Bradley would say, "Hey, Dusty, I got no problem with you dropping me down to seven. It's best for the team." That takes Dusty off the hook because we know how much Dusty loves veteran players and taking care of them. But to me, what is was tried and true last year and helped him win a World Series, that was Pena in the two-hole. Yep. Uh, all right, John, last one.
2: I saw Cocaine Bear this weekend, John. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Have you?
3: I haven't seen a movie in months.
2: Okay. Well, I saw Cocaine Bear this weekend, and it's hilarious. It's really funny. For real or fugazi, Cocaine Bear will be considered an American classic someday. A fugazi, I haven't, on, John. I haven't seen
3: it. I have seen but a classic. A classic yeah. means you got to be one of the top ten, to me. Exactly. I think it's top ten. <laughs> me too. Comedy. Maybe it is because you've seen it and I haven't. But I would bet against.
2: It's. It. It, I would bet against it too. But it was really, really funny. Well, I,
3: saw, I saw. I retweeted you when you tweeted. <laughs> you did. I, I retweeted you and Amy with your picture beforehand yep. and I retweeted your review afterward. Okay. Yeah, we 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 loved it. We laughed. Now it helped
2: that we were drunk probably, but still. Well,
3: ju- you know what? Just the name cocaine bear, that's going to get a lot of attention.
2: Of course, of course. All right. So that was uh that was our Monday episode here getting you all reviewed up from the combine and getting you ready for this week. Franchise P dates franchise tag on Tuesday. That's the deadline. Free agency begins on Monday. The legal tampering period begins on Monday of next week. So we are about to shift into fourth or fifth gear here with the offseason in the Houston Texans. So keep it uh, keep it tuned right here on our podcast. Hit that subscribe button so it comes to you automatically wherever you listen to your podcasts. And um, give us a review. We love that. It's particularly if it's a good review. If, we, if you think we deserve it, um, go ahead and do that. John, what do you have going on on your various platforms?
3: I uh, have a column on uh, Gallerysports.com about Clayton Toon and Tank Dell uh, from U of H at the Combine. And, and they were very interesting. And I'm about to do one for Sports Radio 610 on the Combine. The quarterback says it pertains to the Texans. And then I'm going to do one for Gallery Sports. on. I don't like to call them winners and losers. Nobody's a loser at the Combine. I call it who's hot, who's not, mm. and who's not. Number one is going to be Jalen Carter. And uh, so I'm going to uh, – now that I'm back uh, from the Combine, I've got about five columns left on the Astros. And the first one's going to be about Jose Abreu.
2: Mm. Yeah, John, how's it feel to be back? You were traveling for a long time there.
3: Well, I'm going to be traveling next week. Then I'm going to league meetings in Arizona at the end of the month. And uh, I kind of like it because, number one, I travel where I go. I'm flying first class, baby. You are everywhere I go. Oh, John, that Thanks is beautiful. Mattress Mac.
2: That is the uh, boy, that is some solid treatment of employees right there. I tell you,
3: it's good stuff. And so I told Carol when Mac told me, I said, This is like a raise because I don't even know she knew how much I was paying for upgrades the last two years. Yeah. Do you uh, take advantage of the, the open bar when you're in first class, John? No, I don't. I mainly sleep. Okay. Everybody else is watching movies and they're on their cell phones. I'm not. I just put my head down and sleep is the only mm-hmm. time nobody's trying to get in touch with me. And uh and I love I could sleep under any conditions except one when Mattress Mac and I were coming back from Dallas on his plane from going to visit with Chuck Alley, Cowboys linebacker. It was the worst turbulence either one of us ever had. Mm. And I'm looking, it's like going up and down and sideways. That's when all the tornadoes were in Houston. And I look over at Mac and he's got his head down and I'm thinking, how in the world can he sleep in turbulence like this? And when we landed, I said, how could you take a nap? He said, a nap. I was praying. (laughs) I said, well, your prayers, your prayers were heard.
2: Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) That's really funny. Uh, all right, John. Um, so we are done. Big thanks to Figgy Fig for getting this podcast out to all of you. We appreciate it. If you want to send us a question, mailbag at gmail.com gets that job done. We'll have a mailbag episode coming up later on this week. For the General and the Hall of Famer, John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see you all later this week with a mailbag episode of the Utopia Football Podcast.